Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church in West Des Moines, Iowa. This sermon is part of our mission to bless our neighbors to the glory of God. We hope it blesses you. Uh, I do have a show and tell. It's going to be up here on the screen in just a second. That is Christianity's family tree. So over there on the left, you've got the little fish. That's the early church right after Jesus. And then over there on the very bottom right, you've got the Presbyterian Church USA who finally got it right. <laughs> and so this is not to scale. Um, this is from our, our confirmation materials, but we didn't actually talk about Christianity's family tree during confirmation. So this is a bonus for everybody in the room. Um, and so this is not to scale because almost all of this family tree uh, happened in about three or four centuries. Uh, so we've got all of these different little splits and divisions and then some reunions, some, some reunifications back together of various uh, branches of the Christian family tree. And a whole lot of these divergences happened between about the 14th and 18th centuries, especially the 15th and 16th, kind of depends on how you count and where you start finding the roots of those splits. Uh, that's an era called the Reformation, as I'm sure you all very much remember from your history classes. Now, a lot of those splits and divisions and differences had to do with the sacraments. Uh, the sacraments are baptism, and the Lord's Supper, and possibly others, depending on which part of the family tree you're on at which point. Um, because some of the things that the church has found ways to disagree about include how many sacraments are there, what makes a sacrament count, what happens during a sacrament, who gets to participate in the sacraments. We've argued about all this stuff. Now, to be honest, there have usually also been other cultural issues, theological issues, political issues, kind of underneath a lot of those questions. So when I say that we have split into a million factions over the sacraments, that's not the sacraments fault. They were, they were just important enough to kind of hold the disagreements that we had, right? Now, contemporary denominations, this map makes it look like we are pointed all different directions, and I don't think that that's actually largely true. Uh, that's because this had to fit on a piece of 11 by 17 paper. Uh, a lot of our traditions are actually kind of growing back together in a lot of ways, even as we sometimes split into new ones, because this is, that's why it's a very complicated family tree. Um, a lot of our contemporary divisions between denominations, so why we're Presbyterian over here and way across the garden they're Episcopalian, is that weird or what? Uh, a lot of those differences at this point have a lot more to do with history than they do with theology. We think and talk about God in a lot the same ways. We pray in very similar ways. Um, and then there are some usually technical differences about what happens in these sacraments up here that we just kind of have to resolve along the way as we are growing back together as the church. Well, we're not going to talk about this roadmap anymore today. Uh, we're going to talk about the sacraments today, and I am not going to resolve any of these centuries-old questions about what happens during the sacraments and so forth. Our question today 
as we talk about habits of the gospel, our question today is going to be, how is it that our sacraments might be good news for our neighbors? How can our sacraments be good news for our neighbors? So our scripture reading is going to reflect for us some early understandings of what goes on in the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. Uh, these are early understandings from before theologians and traditions started fitting this into even older uh, categories of ancient Greek philosophy and metaphysics. Um, but like a lot of conversations about sacraments, this scripture reading comes to us from a conflict. It comes to us from an argument uh, within the early church. And within this argument, Paul, who writes the book of 1 Corinthians, is going to tell us what baptism and the Lord's Supper really mean. Scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 through 34. And the second reading is uh, from Corinthians 12, uh, pages 12 through 27, uh, pages 211, 212 in the New Testament in your pew Bible, if you care to read along. Now in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, <clears throat> It is not for the better, but for the worse. For to begin with, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. Indeed, there have to be factions among you, for only so will it become clear who among you are genuine. When you come together, it's not really to eat the Lord's Supper, for when the time comes to eat, each of you goes ahead with your own supper, and one goes hungry, and another one becomes drunk. What? Do you not have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you show contempt for the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I commend you? In this matter, I do not commend you. For I received from the Lord what I was handed on to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be answerable for the body and blood of the Lord. Examine yourselves and only then eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. <clears throat> For this reason, many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. 
But if we judged others, or if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If you're hungry, eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for your condemnation. About the other things, I will give instructions when I come. I, this next part is interesting. It's, it's, it's different. It's <clears throat> All right. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And the ear would say, because I'm, I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Now if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our, most, our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, given the greater honor to the inferior member, that there is, may be no dissension within the body. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now, you are the body of Christ, and, individual, and individually members of it. The word of the Lord. Jesus, when he had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, This is my body that is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And all who eat and drink without discerning the body eat and drink judgment against themselves. I was at a presbytery meeting 15 or so years ago as... Uh, the presbytery that I was a part of was debating and studying same-gender marriage. It took us a long time to make progress on that question. And as we were discussing and studying and reflecting together, a, a deeply pastoral colleague of mine from across the room spoke up and said, you know, 
I would gladly trade the last 30 years of debate over this question for one bowl of soup that I can share with the homeless guy sitting outside my church. And he was right. Paul's attitude here in 1 Corinthians uh, would agree with us. If we are so busy trying to be right on whatever the doctrinal theological question is, if we are so busy trying to be right about that that we cannot serve and love our neighbor, then we are not right in any of the ways that matter. But it's also true that... LGBTQ youth are far more likely to find themselves as that homeless neighbor if they come out to their families and get kicked out of their homes. So our theology, it's not having the right answer that is the only thing to do, but the answers in our theology make a difference to how we live and love our neighbors. These theological issues, they don't matter for their own sake. They matter when they affect how much we love our neighbors. Only our neighbors can tell us whether the gospel that we preach is truly good news. That's what gospel is supposed to mean. Our theology only matters when it shapes whose reality we believe. Our theology matters when it shapes how we act in the world, not only thinking in our minds or feeling in our bodies, but what we actually do in the world around us. Theology matters because Christian faith is, I'm going to use the word, sacramental. A sacrament is something that makes an invisible spiritual reality real and visible and tangible in the world around us. Christian faith is sacramental because it is about who God is in a spiritual sense becoming real and tangible and flesh in the world in which we live. The word becomes flesh. That's the first thing we say as Christians. The word becomes flesh in Jesus Christ. The word becomes flesh in the sacraments we celebrate. The word should become flesh in us. Today's scripture comes to us from 1 Corinthians, a letter that is all about the idea that it does not matter how right our theology is or how vibrant and dynamic our spiritual life is if it does not grow love for our neighbor within us. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth during the, the first few decades of the life of the Christian church. And in this early church, in this context that was different from the context in which Jesus uh, walked around and preached, this church was debating about where they should find God in their life together. There were debates and honest questions about what spiritual gifts and what experiences should define us as the church. These questions ended up reflecting these long-standing divisions between economic classes and power groups and cultural settings within this multicultural city. This sounds really familiar, doesn't it? And this church, instead of reflecting a completely new reality, this kingdom of God that was breaking into the world, this church ended up reflecting the same old divisions and separations and ways of being that existed in the world around them. 
Does this sound familiar? And Paul was having none of it. He was so angry about these divisions, and this is not a friendly, happy, warm, fuzzy letter, no matter how much it has an entire chapter about the word love. Paul is angry about what's going on here in this church, and he calls us in Jesus' name to be better. So Paul talks about the sacraments. Paul's words about the sacraments are not just idle theory. They're not just a nice little set of words that we can pull out and use liturgically as if they're not set in this larger context of argument, debate, and a call to the best of our practice as Jesus' people. They're about addressing the truth of who God is in us. In us, God, the Spirit, is the one who connects all of our diverse gifts into a shared life. That's what happens right here in this sacrament of baptism. In us, God brings us together as a body. Paul uses that weird metaphor that gets all turned around and very strange when you read it all at once. It talks about the church as a body that only works if every part of the church is alive and connected to each other. We know this from our own bodies, don't we? The body only works if every part of us is alive and connected. Now, that's a metaphor, of course. I look out, I see more than one body here in this room together. So clearly, Paul is not meaning this only in a literal sense. What he means is that there's something that's true about how we are one body that is more true than what we can see literally. It's more true than what we can see literally. Now, Modern theological debates about the sacraments. They often talk uh, around questions of, you know, what is a metaphor and what is literal and what did Jesus mean, for instance, when he held up bread and wine and said, this is my body and this is my blood. And Paul doesn't have any time to spend on the questions of what is literal and what is a metaphor. Paul doesn't spend any time on this philosophical language about substance versus form and all the ways that uh, all through that family tree of the church we argued and divided from each other about what happens in these sacraments. Instead, Paul understands how religious ritual works. Paul understands that in religious ritual, when we share in worship together, we are experiencing a true spiritual connection, a connection that is truer than any literal connection or even disconnection between us, that in the sacraments, Jesus comes to live within and among us. And you can put any kind of philosophy you want on that. What matters is that Jesus comes to live within and among us. So in other words, whatever happens to the bread and the juice, whatever happens when the water gets poured and blessed and prayed over and dropped on our forehead, Jesus looks at this church sharing in this sacramental life together and says, this is my body. This is my body. When we share the sacraments together, 
We proclaim that Christ who died and was raised is truly present in us, and that is what matters most about these sacraments. That's why Paul cares so deeply about whether we truly welcome each other at this font, whether we truly feed each other at this table. Paul knows that the sacrament is only valid if we, his words, discern the body. If we feed each other just like the different parts of our own bodies feed and share with each other. The sacrament is only valid if this ritual act is embodying solidarity beyond all of the economic and power divisions between us in this world and if the everyday life of this congregation embodies that same reality. That's what Paul's getting at here. Paul tells us to discern the body, which is only partly about what we do here in this space. Yes, it is about discerning the body of Christ into which we are baptized and gifted by the Holy Spirit, Yes, it is about discerning the body that becomes visible, whether that's metaphorically or metaphysically. Paul doesn't care in the act of being fed and sharing Christ's food with each other. It's most of all about discerning the body of our neighbor in whom God's grace is manifest. We discern the body when we live each day as a sacrament of God's grace, as an opportunity for God's grace to be made real and tangible and visible in our lives together. When we live each day trying to make the gospel visible and tangible for our neighbors, when we recognize and reveal Christ present in the world today, that's what it means to be sacramental. We can discern the body when we cultivate beauty in the world around us, when we express gratitude, gratitude for what we have, but also gratitude for those who share this life with us. Gratitude is literally a translation of the Greek word Eucharist, which is one name for this sacrament that we are about to take part in in just a couple of minutes here. When we share gratitude, we are participating in this sacrament. When we cultivate beauty, we tend to be turned out beyond ourselves so that we can recognize God at work. When we, when we express gratitude, we tend to give beyond ourselves to share Christ's presence and blessings with the world around us. That's good news. And then we are called to discern that body of Christ in others to whom we are connected especially those who are weak or marginalized. Those are the ones that Paul is writing most about when he gets on the case of the church in Corinth about how they are living their sacramental life together. Because Paul knows that we have to be joined across those divisions. Jesus tells us that he will continue to be especially present in those who are poor and marginalized in our lives and in our world. So it's just like my colleague who really wanted to set all the theology aside and just go share a bowl of soup with his neighbors because what we give and how we serve reflects Christ's body in the world. And so does whom we include and the conversations that we have about 
how best to understand being inclusive in the world. It's like I've continued to learn there's, there's giving and there's partnership and there, there's advocacy and they are all part of bearing witness to the body of Christ in the world. And in all things, we can pray. We can pray for the needs of our neighbors whom we know and love. We can pray for the needs of our enemies for whom Jesus commanded us to pray. And we can pray for the good of the world. We can pray especially for eyes to see, ears to hear, and all of the other metaphorical ways of understanding how God is present and active in the world today. So, in just a few minutes, we're going to celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper as a ritual. And we will practice seeing and receiving Jesus' presence right here at the table. We will practice sharing Jesus' presence with each other. And then we will go out into the world to live as if that presence is true and real among us. So may it be, in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, a moment for mission. Our moment for mission this week lifts up our Presbyterian Church camp, the Lakeshore Center at Okaboji. Covenant was looking forward to sending four of our youth to church camp this week. Sadly, due to staffing constraints, the Lakeshore Center had to cancel their traditional residential camps this summer. They're changing those into family camp opportunities, which are good and not the same as residential sleepaway camp. But we look forward to traditional church camp opportunities again next year. And so we offer this video celebration of what church camp is all about at the Lakeshore Center at Okaboji. Thank you for listening. Learn more about our mission at wdmcovenant.org.